Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. You know, if there's an issue that unites business and the left of center, it's the need for effective child care. Yet, much as governments talk about their ambitions to deliver programs, only Quebec really has a generally available system of subsidized care in this country. Business groups talk about how child care could be one of the most significant economic boosts, particularly in bringing more women into the workforce and helping them stay in the workforce. We're going to talk about public attitudes to child care and government priorities for it with Mario Canseco. He's president of Research Co., a public research firm, and he writes for us here at Glacier Media. Good to have you with us. Great to be here. Uh, let's let's first of all get a bit of a lay of the land on this one. Uh, British Columbians have, have always, I think, been great supporters of this program. And is there broad Canadian support for it? There is. You know, it has been consistent since 2015 when I first asked about uh, this issue here in BC. Uh, we see usually 80, 85 percent of residents who say this is a great idea. We Men and women? It. Men and women, yeah. uh, which is important because th- there does seem to be some sort of difference in the way people assume that Canadians are going to react to these ideas. If you're a woman, you're more likely to say yes. If you're a man, you're more likely to say no. That's not uh, really what the data shows us. Yeah, interesting because it is um, a, one of those great economic emancipators, right? There is no question that that for the dollars that get spent on these programs, they they yield so many more dollars in terms of economic growth. Well, it is something that does come back to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it in Quebec; they've had this. Uh, seven-a-day childcare program since 1997. We yeah. see more women coming back to the workforce. We see uh, a situation where you're not necessarily away from work more than you have to, and that's been working immensely well. You know, I think it's one of the legacies of the PQ government. I don't. I know yeah. we don't usually talk very uh, <laughs> in very nice terms about uh, governments that are aiming to separate Quebec from the rest of the country, but in this particular case, they got it right, and it's an example for everybody to follow. Yeah, I mean, the separatists actually united the province in a certain <laughs> way around all of this. I, I do wonder, I, I really do, about the fact that there is such widespread support, and yet, uh, you know... The, Governments can't pull it off. Well, it, I think we ran into a situation under the BC Liberals where this wasn't really on the radar. I think they were concerned about effects that it could have with some of the um, specific components of the party that are more conservative. This is an, at a time when the BC Conservatives appear to be mounting a challenge to the BC Liberals, and they were mm. very quick to point out, no, no, children belong in the home. You know, it, this is 1950. Everything's fine. You don't need two salaries. Somebody should stay at home, and that'll be that. This is happening as the housing crisis begins. So there's definitely a situation where residents are saying, well, this isn't really the case at all. You people are living in the past, and the reality is that this is a system that would help a lot of people get back to work because in this day and age, you need two salaries to make this happen. It isn't as if we don't have a lot of childcare in this province and elsewhere, of course, but a lot of it is unlicensed, unregulated, and to some degree, I mean, I think not not the kind of care that we would want for our children day by day by day, and yet uh, there just isn't a sufficient government-oriented program in order to basically feed the need. Well, that was one of the most shocking findings of the survey, to see that there's Almost 40% of residents were waiting more than five months to get a childcare space. And what are you going to do in those five months? Yeah. Either a parent stops working, which is not something that is going to be good for your household. You find a nanny or somebody to come to your house, which is going to be very expensive. 
or you rely on an unlicensed facility. None of those options are the best. And yeah. there are ways to make this happen. You know, this is something that has been discussed. There's some, um, there have been some investments under the uh, current government that have been working out. And when we spoke to those parents, they said that they're happy with the situation. But there's still a lot of angst. There's still this financial strain that happens even after you get that, that space. Yeah, I mean, the, the provincial government has invested pretty heavily uh, in this, but it's not even close to what the real investment is. Is, is, that, is the price tag the thing that scares off government in the end? I think they're trying to go at it uh, at a very slow pace. And you know, one of the problems is the fact that the illusion is that we're going to get at the same situation that Quebec has. It uh, could be detrimental. I mean, we saw uh, Rachel Notley campaigning on $20 a day daycare, sure. uh, which made a lot of sense for what the NDP was trying to do in Alberta. Um, here it's $10, but there's this idea that, that it has to be completely universal. And I think we are moving into that situation where some of these investments are helping, but we aren't closer to the dream of having something similar to what Quebec has. So that has... Uh, um, created its share of disappointment among parents who are almost about to age out of childcare and haven't benefited from it. Sure. The the other part of it, of course, is that you know a lot of these programs are means tested anyway. Right? You you know you, your your ten dollar a day uh, opportunity doesn't necessarily exist if you're making <laughs> six figure incomes. Exactly. Uh, that being said, uh, one of the other principal areas that I think is is of great concern is that we don't have enough childcare workers. Uh, we don't pay them terribly well. And uh, again, one of the fears that I, th I think business groups and others have, have said is that they, they worry that really we would be creating essentially a, uh, another form of the teaching class, right. which would be quite a costly one. It, it, again, are we a little scared off by that specter? That is something that plays a role, particularly among those who haven't been involved in this. I think there's the idea that if something is going to cost you $10 a day, it's not going to be great. You're not going to have kids that are going to be taught properly. Uh, my experience personally has been completely different. Mm -hmm. I think there's very talented people uh, who are working within childcare facilities in British Columbia. And the whole idea of this uh, 10 a day program is to actually make sure that that happens. You know, it, it's ultimately about making sure that the people who are providing that care are properly prepared and know what they're doing. Uh, if you're going to be paying less than $10 a day for an unlicensed facility, you don't know what you're going to be getting. And we've had some horror stories about that. Sure. These are um, a mixture of federal and provincial jurisdictions and initiatives and therefore spending. But I, but I am, again, um, experienced enough to remember study after study after study at a federal level on what is going to go on here. The Trudeau government hasn't particularly made childcare uh, much of a priority. I mean, I hear, you know, this week you hear pharmacare. Yes. You don't hear childcare uh, as being probably the, uh, the, the position it'll take going into the election campaign. Again, why why not, do you think? Uh, why, why doesn't childcare seem to be the priority for this government? I think they should talk about it more. Uh, the liberals are fundamentally an urban party, and those are the areas where you're having most of the struggle, uh, particularly when it comes to childcare waiting lists, some of the difficulties in finding a facility that is working for you and, and, and for your child. Um, it could be part of what the liberals are trying to do to reconnect with voters. I think it would be a wise idea for them to to talk about these things. Um, Trudeau has a young family. I mean, there are so many ways in which you could spin this properly to get some of those voters out there. Yeah. And the liberals in other uh, 
campaigns have talked about childcare, probably not as strongly as they could this time around. Uh, but I think it would be something that could help them get in touch with some of those urban voters who are maybe dissatisfied with some decisions that have been taken on the democratic uh, file or on the environmental file. Because the, the family benefits that the liberals have conferred in their first term here um, have gone some distance to uh, moving some people out of uh, out of poverty, uh, move people up, up the ladder a little bit here uh, by virtue of that. Um, and yet, I think people feel like it's it's kind of an intangible quality to it. The thing about childcare is that it is tangible. It's very visible. It's evident in your life every day in all of this. So again, I'm I'm puzzled. And and what I wonder about again is, is this just something where the federal government would have to do so much wrangling with provinces and would and you know with Quebec obviously with its own program, not be able to really kind of create a uh, anything other than a, a kind of a patchwork across the country? Well, they've done it with the carbon tax. <laughs> I think that's a good example of yeah. finding out a way to work with specific provinces that already have something in place and trying to entice the others to come on board. Uh, I think it would be a wise idea. You, we see a little bit of the struggle in the cities, particularly when it comes to those childcare spaces. And it definitely uh, makes the parents... Uh, have a much tougher time. You know, when you have 70% saying somebody had to stay home, when you have 76% of them saying, this is uh, causing a financial strain on my family. I'm having to make decisions here about what we eat or if we go out or what how we spend the money that we have because we have this added expenditure that is called childcare. They're, they're happy with the spaces, uh, but it's still uh, considerably more expensive than what it is in other provinces. I think we should give people a bit of a taste of, um, of something that you're writing for us for next week, which uh, when you talk about childcare, uh, your mind sometimes turns to politics uh, <laughs> and uh, watching watching some of the chambers. Uh, but um, let's talk a bit about uh, our attitudes toward Donald Trump. And specifically, as we move into an election, um, Donald Trump will be a bit of an election issue for us, won't it? It will, undoubtedly. I think part of the situation is Back in 2015, we didn't have the illusion that Donald Trump was going to be president. Uh, it wasn't a situation where you had a lot of politicians from Canada worrying about this. Now he right. is the president. Whoever wins the federal election will have to deal yeah, with who's going to get along with Barack Obama and his successor. <laughs> uh, the, you know, that was that was what we worried about back then. Completely different, right? Uh, and I think what I see this time around is there's there's definitely an animosity that has always been there from Canadians, even when Donald Trump was a candidate. Uh, there's only two groups that seem to be espousing views that are a little bit more positive towards Donald Trump, and they are in Alberta, and mm -hmm. there's also people who voted for the Conservative Party. Not a majority of them, mind you. There's roughly 30% who say he hasn't been that bad. He's trying to do what he set out to do. He's accomplished uh, a lot during the first two years of his tenure. Uh, but most Canadians are decidedly uh, against the idea that Donald Trump has been beneficial to Canada. Is, is the animosity there um, focused on the, the personal qualities? That is the, the perception that, uh, that you know, he, he, uh, of racism, of sexism, um, that that these are the things that are showstoppers for Canadians, and they don't even <laughs> they don't even much care about what he's doing economically. This, these other things are too odious for them to even consider him. That is what is happening. Uh, when I go back to 
the way Canadians felt about people like John McCain back in 2008 or Mitt Romney back in 2012. Uh, you also saw a little bit of a bump in Alberta and among conservative voters because of ideological concerns. But we don't see that at the same level that we see it with Donald Trump. Even some conservatives are saying, well, this isn't really the right kind of president. They would have preferred somebody different to be the candidate. And maybe they would prefer somebody different from the Republican Party to be serving as the head of state in the U.S. Uh, but at this particular stage, um, I think it's more about the fact that we were, we're overexposed to U.S. politics in a way that we've never been before. Mm -hmm. uh, we have newscasts that are opening uh, with Supreme Court justice nominations in the U.S. That didn't happen in this country before. I think there's a little bit of an obsession because of Donald Trump. If Hillary Clinton were the president, maybe we wouldn't be covering this stuff as much as we are. Right. Well, but let's get around, though, to the kinds of things that Canadians might be even tangibly affected. Uh, by with uh, with with the Trump administration, which is, the, you know, the the two things that stand out, of course, are are trade issues, which really uh, are are pretty unappealing at times for Canadians. They feel like we're we're forever, you know, bowing to to America around it. And then I, I guess you know the second part of it is that if the American economy starts to slow, um, how does the Trump administration respond to it? And do we get sideswiped by it? And I would, so let's let's look at a couple of these things. Uh, let's talk a bit about first of all the, the the perceptions that Canada have about America and and its trade position and its you know and and the fact that Trump seems every time he gets on Twitter he's slapping a tariff on somebody. Well, I think uh, there's another country that is bowing down to Donald Trump right now, and it's Mexico. Yeah. It's been completely evident. I think the cabinet. Uh, is uh, incredibly ill-prepared to deal with the situation at their disposal. Um, it's uh, led to a lot of criticism within Mexicans because of the way in which the government has behaved and the fact that essentially you have a foreign power telling you how to run your immigration policy within your borders, which sure. is absolutely ghastly. Yeah. Uh, but that's the reality that we face. So I think Donald Trump is testing this. We'll see what happens next week with, when uh, Justin Trudeau goes there. They'll get a few questions, probably some softball questions about the Raptors, but there might be a moment when there's a discussion and, and Donald Trump can say, well, you know, if, if Justin Trudeau doesn't do what I want to do, we'll just go at it the Mexican way and demand something and, and get something in return. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but, that is going he, to be the big issue. But he got his trade deal. What, is, what might Donald Trump want from Canada now? Well, I think it really depends on how quickly this is ratified. And, and mm -hmm. ultimately, that's a problem. I don't think it will be in Mexico necessarily. Uh, president controls Congress. Uh, U.S. is going to be a little bit more complex uh, because Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump are not getting along very well right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there, there might be a situation that is related to dairy. And the reason for this is the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a state that few people expected Donald Trump to win. He needs it to remain president after the election. The dairy industry is humongous in Wisconsin. Yeah. And I think there's and going he, to be something there. And he didn't get the end of supply management the way he no. committed. So, and, uh, yeah, so there will be something there. There has to be something there that allows Donald Trump to go meet with all of the cheeseheads in Wisconsin and say, we got this done and this is safe and yeah. we can safely have this state on the red column again. And uh, when it comes time for the American economy to slow, because that appears to be coming soon, probably before the election, uh, does the way that Trump responds then... Um, make Canadians feel more concerned or 
or you know, in a way more reassured, depending on how it goes? I think there are reasons to be more concerned, particularly because of the irrational way in which he reacts to certain things. And there might be a situation where once, once the economy starts to slow down, unemployment starts to creep up, he's going to blame everybody around him. It's because of the deal. We didn't get all the deals that we wanted. We haven't been able to to get the stuff done in the way, in a way that I wanted to. So he'll, he'll blame the Democrats, which he does every day anyway. But there will also be a situation where he'll point to international trade. And, and there's a moment when China cannot be the bad guy anymore. You have to look into something that is going to be closer to home. And to me, that's going to be crucial. How do the Canadian federal politicians react to a situation where Trump goes off script? So what do Canadians say about who is the best handler of them? Because I think we, I had the president of the Canadian Manufacturers Association on the other day and talking about this. And he, he actually thinks that Trump has been well contained by the current Canadian administration. Um, what, what do Canadians feel about who Who's the best person? Who's up to the job? Well, when we ask Canadians how they feel about this issue, uh, Justin Trudeau defeats Andrew Scheer by a two-to-one margin. Really? There's 35% of Canadians who say that they'd rather have Justin Trudeau deal with Donald Trump and the bilateral relations with the U.S., and only 17% who select Scheer. Again, the only province where Scheer outranks Trudeau is Alberta. Uh, But that's it. And if this becomes an issue in the election... Yeah, no, sorry. Do you think think Scheer is perceived as having the same value set as Trump on the economy and that maybe Canadians don't want another person to be, they they want somebody to be pushing back on him? I think that's definitely part of it. Now, incumbency plays a role in this. Uh, You know, when when you were asking Canadians in the 80s who was better to handle bilateral relations, Brian Mulroney was consistently ahead of Jean Chrétien or Alexa McDonough or whoever was there at the time. So it's completely understandable for a situation like this to be developing. But if, if this becomes an issue, if this becomes a campaign about who do you want taking a phone call from Donald Trump, this is this could get interesting. It, it might be a situation where the liberals can use the incumbency of Justin Trudeau and say, do you really want Andrew Scheer to be the one to negotiate with this man and look at the way he's treated other countries? But I've already seen the conservative ad that links Trudeau and Trump, right? I mean, in a way, you, you don't. The conservatives must believe that Canadians don't want to see a, a close relationship between Trump and Trudeau, that they want they want their guy to be quite, quite different. Well, and that's the way it should be, except we're coming off a tradition of conservative politicians who have always been cozy with the United States. Yeah. Rooney and Reagan singing Irish songs. Um, yeah. Stephen Harper getting up in the House of Commons and saying, why aren't we joining our brothers in the Iraq war, which he regretted later on. But that still happened. So there is that symbiotic relationship between conservatives in Canada and Republicans in the U.S., uh, regardless of whether you like or not the guy who's the president right now. Mm. Always fascinating stuff. Mario, thanks a lot for joining us again. My pleasure, Kirk. Thank you. Mario Canseco is president of Research Co., a public research firm. You've been listening to BIB Daily. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Talk to you soon. 